0: Shabbat Shalom, Chodesh Tov, and Chag Urim Sameach. Shabbat, Rosh Chodesh, and Hanukkah, that's why it is the time that it is. My appreciation for the biblical character Joseph, it ebbs and it flows. There are some years when I read these Parshiot, these four weeks of Parshas, and I think he is amazing. I think he is a rock star. I think he's Donnie Osmond. And then other years... I kind of think he's a narcissistic jerk. This year, I found a new appreciation for him. This is how chapter 42, which is in Meeketz, begins, and I'm paraphrasing some. When Jacob saw that there were food rations to be had in Egypt, he said to his sons, I hear that there are rations to be had in Egypt. Go down to Egypt and get help so we don't starve to death. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to Egypt to get help. Benjamin stayed behind because Jacob feared that he might meet with disaster. After all, he was much younger than the others. The text continues. We now turn to the narrator. Joseph was the number two in Egypt. He was the numbers guy, and he was the guy who dispensed food rations. Joseph's brothers came, and they bowed low to him. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but they did not recognize him, and he acted like a stranger towards them. He spoke harshly, and he said, where do you come from? And they said, we came from Canaan to procure food. Recalling the dreams that he dreamt about them, Joseph said, "Uh uh-uh, you're spies. You've come to see the land. But they said, No, really, we need food. (laughs) We are all the sons of the same man, the ten of us. We're honest. We've never been spies. And Joseph said, I don't believe you. You are spies. And they said, Sir, we're 12 brothers, son of a certain man in the land of Canaan. The youngest, he's with our father, and the other one is no more. And then Joseph said, he was on a roll, no, you're spies. I'm going to test you. Go back home and come back with your youngest brother. And then Joseph took three days to breathe. Joseph recognized his brothers. His brothers don't recognize him. Okay, fine. I can deal with that. The commentators say it was because he went through puberty since his brothers last saw him. His hair was different. He dressed like an Egyptian. That's possible. But something huge, really big, big elephant in the text is missing for me in this narrative. Joseph asked his brothers to go home and return with Benjamin but who does he not ask about? I'm hearing it. I'm hearing it whispered. He doesn't ask about his father. Now remember, Jacob bought Joseph that famous multicolored coat. Joseph was the favorite. Yaakov v. Yosef. Joseph and Jacob, they had a real relationship. And here in this part of the story, Joseph doesn't ask any information about their shared father. He doesn't ask about Jacob until the next chapter, when the brothers return a second time, and then he says, How is your old father that you spoke about? Is he still alive? The Ramban asks, and I agree with him, How did Joseph not have, Rahmanus compassion for his elderly father the entire time that he was gone. After Joseph stayed in Egypt for many years, how was it possible, the Ramban writes, that he didn't send a single letter to his father to inform him of his whereabouts and to comfort his father because the Ramban writes that Egypt is only a six-day journey from where he was. And even if it were a year's journey, out of respect to his father, he should have notified him. It seems at first blush that Joseph broke the fifth commandment, even if it didn't exist yet. This was not kibud horim. This was not honoring his parent. My own mother... I hope she's not listening, expects me to call when I get home safely, when I leave her home, and she only lives just south of Lawrence, and I usually do it, all the more so for something so much more serious. At this point when the brothers come to him, I think Joseph found himself in the narrows in Egypt. He was stuck with all that he had going on, he actually didn't know what to do about his father. It's very possible that asking the brothers to go home and then return with Benjamin was actually a stalling tactic. If you recall, Joseph had been thrown in both a pit and a dungeon with only his thoughts to occupy his time. He probably had a lot of time to think about what reuniting with his father would be like. If Joseph had all of that time, he probably also was able in his head to dance from scenario to scenario to scenario. So let's take a moment to reflect on how some of those scenarios might have gone. Perhaps... Joseph could choreograph in his mind the act of stepping through his father's tent and that first embrace, the first time they see each other eye to eye. We can all imagine that. Dad, I'm alive! I love you! And a huge hug and lots of tears. It could happen. But if Jacob found out that Joseph was alive... Jacob would probably want him to return home to Canaan, and then Joseph wouldn't be able to do all that he was meant to do in Egypt, you know, like save the world from starvation. Joseph was the numbers person for Pharaoh. If Jacob were to find out that Joseph was alive and yet remained in Egypt, this would cause Jacob even more needless suffering, because Joseph was literally entrusted with the welfare of the whole country. As Stephen Mitchell writes, if he didn't carry out that seven-year, seven-year plan in a meticulously thorough way, his father would starve, along with his brothers and their families and everyone else in Kanaan. So wasn't it better for his father to continue believing that he was dead? A thought he had undoubtedly come accustomed to than to know that he was alive and unable to come home, a situation that would be incomprehensible to the old man and might even seem to him like defiance and be a fresh cause for grief. You know, this is how many people's brains work when faced with real life and death decisions. It's non-linear and it's a zigzag. It's very possible That Joseph needed time. He didn't know what to do. Maybe he was awaiting a sign from God. Maybe. So, this morning, I want us to reconsider and lift up Joseph's trust in not knowing what to do. For sure, there was a whole lot he did know how to do, and that he did well. He was capable of governing, he was capable of governance. But what to do about his father, he had no clue. He needed a little time and a little patience with himself to examine all the angles. Rabbi Alan Morinus, the founder and the dean of the Musser Institute, writes, The Hebrew term for patience is savlanut. It shares its linguistic root with savel, which means suffering, and sabal, which means a porter. What could these three words possibly share in common? He continues. The answer is that being patient means bearing the burden of your suffering. You tell yourself that I can bear these feelings on my inner shoulders, holding them aloft and not crumbling under their weight. I learned from my colleague, Rabbi Abby True, that Joseph was very good. At waiting when he grew up. Of course, he cultivated the skill over time. The young Joseph, he couldn't help but blurt out his dreams, no matter how offensive they were and who might have heard them. But with the hard knocks of living, he learned the art and wisdom of patience. In our parsha, he waited three days before dealing with his brothers. And the plan that he then concocted to test them It was long and it was slow, requiring him to wait even longer while they journeyed several times to and from Canaan, taking days, if not weeks, for each leg of the trip. How much easier would it have been for Joseph to have divulged his identity right away or simply said, so guys, tell me about this father of yours. But he didn't to teach us that the virtue of patience, of Savlanut, is greatly esteemed in our tradition. In Proverbs, we read, Erech apayim yashkit Rev, a patient man, calms, strife. And in Kohelet, we read, Erech ruach mikbah ruach, better a patient spirit than a haughty spirit. Underneath patience lies another huge value of ours, which is that of tikva, of hope. Rabbi True reminded me that the word kiva in Hebrew means both wait, I will wait for, and hope, as in lishuatcha kiviti adonai, I wait or I hope for your deliverance, O God. Jacob will say those words in a few weeks when he gives done his blessing from his deathbed. What we can learn from Joseph is the ability to keep some of our dreams to ourselves for a while, to step away when our emotions are overwhelming, so that we can deal calmly and respectfully with those around us. We can learn from Joseph to pause and wait and see what good might come out of a difficult or frustrating situation. To those of us in the working world, don't respond to that email or text right away. This Shabbat morning, Rosh Chodesh morning, Hanukkah morning, I invite you to rethink Joseph, and I invite you to honor him for not knowing what to do immediately He models for us a way of encountering a world that is not simple and not black and white. His patience reminds us that immediate responses often have consequences. Whether it's something in your family or at work or our response to the new government that was just formed in Israel or how it is that we respond to anti-Semitism, just pick your issue. There are so many Take a little bit of time cultivating savlanut, some patience, before you respond. So this year, I don't quite think that Joseph is a rock star, but he sure gave all of us a meaningful leadership teaching. Shabbat shalom, chodesh tov, and chag urim sameach.